welcome. I appreciate you being here. This is our, our fifth in this series of, on, on, on this, this topic, this series I developed called Life is Not a Sitcom. I know there's a lot of places you could choose to be on Sunday. Thank you for being here and welcome to our people who are with us online and Flipside South Valley. We got a site that started down in the Tulare Visalia area online with us. Uh, we just want to welcome you guys there too. Um, as we get into this, this fifth installment in this series, uh, I, I want to ask you this question. What's the f- first command uh, God gave us in Scripture? Love God. Love the Lord. Anybody else? No, uh, be good. Are, are you making statements or are you making guesses? <laughs> okay, so. First command given to us is the topic we're going to talk about today. Work. First command God gave to people. Work. We're going to talk about work today, how, how culture views it, and, and really what the biblical uh, mandate and instruction is about work. We're going to talk about work, not just as employment, but as enjoyment. We're going to talk about work, not just as something that is provisional, but as something that is missional. Let me say right off the bat, those of you who have a job, thank you. It's easy to not. And the first command God gave to people is about work. Our problem is we don't view work through the same lens that God gave it. I've been trying to find a, 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 sit, a clip from a sitcom that, that, that kind of introduces what we're talking about. And this one I think does pretty well. My job is to speak to clients um, on the phone about uh, quantities and uh, type of copier paper. You know, uh, whether we can supply it to them, whether they can uh, pay for it. And um, uh, I'm, I'm boring myself just talking about this. <laughs> Too often, work is seen as something that I have to do, that I must do, that I probably don't enjoy all the time. It's just part of life. Confucius said this, choose a job you love and you'll never have to work a day in your life. You ever heard that? Here's my problem with that. The implication is that work in and of itself is not enjoyable. Someone else said this, I like work. It fascinates me. I can sit and look at it for hours. Today, I don't want to talk about what job you should have. There's not a lot of instruction on what you should do. As long as what you do allows you to contribute to the kingdom of God and be generous. As long as what you do allows you to meet your needs. As long as what you do in some manner contributes to society. As long as what you do 
It's best if what you do matches your God-given gifts and talents and abilities and strengths. I don't want to talk about what you should do. I want to talk about work. And I want to talk about it theologically. And what the Bible says, there's a theology behind work. The first thing we read about God involves work. The first thing that God chooses to tell us about himself is that he's a God who works. The first picture we get of God in all of Scripture as God decides what is the first picture I want to give humanity about the revelation of who I am. Genesis 1.1, in the beginning, God what? Created the heavens and the earth. We don't view that as work, but that's exactly what it is. In the beginning, God worked. He was productive. He was industrious. It wasn't without effort, his creation. It was work. How do I know that? Because I've read the Bible. And Genesis 2.2 says, by the seventh day, God had finished the what? What was it called in Genesis 1.1? Created. But that creative act was work. He finished the work he had been doing, so on the seventh day he rested from his what? The first picture we have of God. The first thing God wants to show us of himself is that he is a God who works. So there must be value in it. There must be purpose to it. The Bible says that God rested. It's not that God was tired. It's that he just simply stopped. There's more God could have done. Please understand that. He chose to give us a model of work in six days, not five. Of a six-day work week and having one day off. And it says he, he could have kept working. Now think for a moment, within six days, of all the colors God made. Imagine for a moment the other colors that were left unmade had God chose to keep working seven days. I have a feeling we're going to find out what those other colors are when we get to heaven. Can you imagine? Of course you can't. But think about it for a minute. God made every type of species in the sea, in the air, and on the land. He came up with the idea of a duck-billed platypus. Imagine what he could have done had he kept working seven days. It's not that he couldn't work anymore. Not that he was too tired. He just chose to stop. There is a time to work. And there's a time to stop. Not that there's not more to do. God left a lot undone because he knew what he had done was enough. And whatever was undone, he left undone. And the model he gives to us is to work your tails off for six days if you have to. But take one day and just stop and leave everything that is not done Undone. Well, let me press into this a little bit. How many of you know how to drive a manual transmission automobile? It's called a stick. Okay, here's what I just realized. The, the, the cartoon that I read this week is true. You know what a, a, a millennial anti-theft device is? That. <laughs> 
You got a stick shift and your car gets stolen, you know you're looking at someone 50 and older. I want you to think about your, your time, your schedule, your work, your life in terms of these five, this, these, these five gears. A manual transmission car is not designed to start in fourth gear, to run in fourth gear all day long, and to turn it off at night in fourth gear. It's an engine and transmission is not designed for that. Why? What will happen? It's bad for the clutch, bad for transmission, bad for the engine. It's bad all the way around. It won't run well. It's going to have some problems sooner or later. An engine, a manual transmission, is designed to start it in first gear and move sequentially up and down through the gears. That's the best thing for the engine, the transmission, the clutch. Think about your life, your energy, your work, your time, your schedule in terms of these five gears. As an engine is designed to start in first gear, first gear time is time alone with God. It's solitude that we talked about last week. Life is designed to start in first gear. First gear time is soul work time. Second gear time is time worth connecting those you love the most. Those who are extraordinarily important to you. If you're married, it better be your spouse. And if you have kids, it better include them. If gear one time is soul work time, gear two time is vital relationship time. Gear three time is social time. Time with friends. Fun time. Time that's not about work and it's not about soul. It's just about relationship with people outside of those who are most important to you. If, so, if gear one time is soul work time and gear two time is vital relationship time, gear three time is friendship work time. We're building our relationships with our friends. It's important. If gear one time is Alone time, gear two time is connecting with those who are most vital to our lives. Gear three time is social. Gear four time is multitask time. It's work time. Gear four time is when we can shift up and down pretty easily between gear three and gear five. It's the multitask time. It's the time where I can bounce from project to project to project, phone call to text to phone call to meeting, back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. And if gear one time is soul work time, if gear two time is vital relationship time, if gear three time is friendship work time, gear four time is task time. It's just full of tasks. If any of you are list makers, you know exactly what I'm talking about. If gear one time is time alone, gear two time is time with the vital uh, relationships and people you love, gear three time is social time, gear four time is multitask time, gear five time is focused uninterrupted, concentrated time where you're in the zone and there's no interruptions from any outside forces. It's the creative time. It's the time for strategy. It's the time for deep planning. It's the vital work time. Our lives are designed to sequentially shift 
through the gears. If, time, if gear one is alone time, if gear two is the vital relationship time, if gear three is fun time, if gear four is multitask time, if gear five is vital work time, what time do you think most, what gear do you think most people live in? Four? You're exactly right. You know why you're right? Because it's the gear you live in. You know it. What happens if every day you go out to your car and you put it in fourth gear and try to drive away and never shift out of four until you bring it home, park it in the garage, and turn it off in fourth gear? What happens to that car? Eventually, that car will run very poorly, right? Same thing in our lives when we wake up in fourth gear and stay in fourth gear all day getting tasks done all the way till the evening time, go home still in fourth gear and work on the tasks we didn't get done during the day. And right at the end of the day, when we're too tired to stay in fourth gear, we turn off the engine and put on headphones and that's the end of it. If eventually the car will run poorly, what will happen to the life that starts continues, maintains, and ends in fourth gear. We'll run poorly. If we get up in multitask mode, stay in multitask mode, and go to bed in multitask mode, transmission, clutch, and engine will eventually wear out quicker than it should. Here's what we have to understand. The gear we spend the most time in is the gear we're the most invested in. The gears we spend the least time in are the areas of life we are the least fruitful in. There's a time to work hard. And there's a time to downshift. We must work, but as our model is God... We must also stop. So here's the questions. In the midst of your busy schedules and work, when is your scheduled first gear time and solitude between you and your Creator? In the midst of our busy, overscheduled lives, when do we schedule gear two time with those who are most vital to our lives, those we love? And like I said, if you're married, it better be your spouse. If you've got kids, it better be time with them. When is your scheduled gear two time? And then as a follow-up question to that, is that enough time for those that you love? Because if it's enough time for you, but not enough time for those you love, it's not enough time. When is your gear three time? Or you're just having fun with friends. That's really important. Where you're not doing work, you're not doing soul stuff, you're just having fun. That's really important. Now, I won't ask when your gear four time is because most of you live in gear four in a really unhealthy way. And then consider, do you ever take gear five time where it's uninterrupted, 
creative, strategic. I, I've, I've taught this to my staff. Now, actually, this is a book right here called Five Years. We give this to our, our, our church planters. Uh, we give this to the people in ministry. There's, ministry people are some of the most out-of-balance people in the world. They're really unhealthy uh, and really insecure. And it's just a, it's a bad, bad situation. And so we walk through, I, I've given this to my staff. Our staff, our staff has talked about this and, and some of them have put it into practice. And they know when I have my blinds drawn in my office, I'm my door shut, that's my gear five times. And they know it's uninterrupted. They don't knock on it, they don't tech, they don't, it's uninterrupted, it's gear five. When my door's open, my blinds are open, it's gear four and gear three. Uh, and, and so this is, this is important for us to get a handle on. You, 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 we're talking about work, and you darn well better work your tails off, right? And we understand that. And, and, and this is, this is, you all are a bunch of people that work hard. But my concern in talking about work is we forget the flip side of that. And there's a gear one and a gear two and a gear three and a gear five. The first command given to humanity is to work. The first thing God told his people is to work and work hard. Did you know that? The first thing he gave humanity was the blessing of work. Now, I'm not talking about just employment. We could be talking about volunteer stuff too. Look at, look at, look at what the Bible says. If you didn't know this, just, just read the first chapter of the Bible. Pay attention to what it says. God blessed them, Adam, and said to them, be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky and over every living creature that moves on the ground. What is it to subdue and to rule over if not management of? And what is management if not work? When God said to subdue it and to rule it, he meant literally to manage it rule over it, and exert authority over it. If you are out in the world and over a system, you are managing, ruling over, and, ruling, uh, and exerting authority over, what are you doing? The first command God gave to people is to work. But we have to realize, work was always a part of God's plan for humanity. In the perfect place called Eden, with perfect humanity, Adam and Eve, God said, work. We often think of, that, of the Garden of Eden as this tropical paradise where they just sit back and drink Mai Tais or something. It just is, it's ridiculous. God said, I'm, I'm, I'm going to make you perfect. I'm going to put you in a perfect place because I have ordained work for you to do. Work was commanded by God over his people, and it was ordained by God for his people before sin ever entered the world. Work was not given to humanity as a punishment. It was not given to Adam and Eve as a punishment. Now, to be truthful, it became more difficult after sin. But we were created to work. Now, this isn't how most of us view employment, is it? As an ordained blessing from God, part of our, that's not how we review it. Here's how most of us view work. And this is, this is the way the culture, this is the way the culture views work. Look at what the Bible says. What do people get for all their toil and anxious striving, which they labor under the sun? Like what? I mean, I, I'm, I'm working for the day I can quit working. 
That's what he's saying. All their days, their work is grief and pain, right? Like if it weren't for clients and bosses, work would be fine. It's just a pain. You're a pain in my neck, a pain in my side, a pain on my back, and a pain in my asterisk. It's just a pain. And even at night, their minds do not rest. You know what happens when you wake up in gear four, live in gear four, and go to bed in gear four? Your minds don't rest. He says, this whole thing is just meaningless. See, when we approach work by what I make, what I keep, and I, what I consume, this is the result. And our problem, and we've been conditioned in culture to, to believe this, that we approach work and the idea of work from the point of view of what I can make, what I can keep, and what I can consume. And oftentimes when we view work by what I can make, what I can keep, and what I can consume, it becomes a drudgery and something I got to do. It was never designed to be that way. You understand? You following with me so far? And so we have to ask the question, then why work? Well, one reason is because it's a part of life's purpose. Part of your purpose in life is to work. I don't know if you realize that. A lot of people spend their years, I wonder what my purpose is. Like, like what, what, what am I supposed to do? Well, part of your purpose is to work. God created us to work. Go all the way back to Genesis 1. We just talked about it. Genesis 1.26. And look at what this says. This is profound. Then God said to the, to the, to the, the triune God, Father, Son, Spirit, they're talking to each other because they exist in eternal relationship with each other. Let us make mankind in our what? In our image, in our likeness, so that they may what? Rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the sky, over the livestock and all the wild animals, and over all the creatures that move on the ground. Let's make humanity in our image. What is the first image we have of God, if not the one who works? Do you realize that you, being made in the image of God, up to that point in all the scripture, the only image of God we have is a working God. So being made in his image means that part of my purpose is to work. He's given us the ability to work. He's given us the desire to work and to create. We're made with the ability to produce. It's part of our purpose to work. Whether you like your vocation or not, work is part of your purpose. So if possible, Choose a job you enjoy. If part of life's purpose is to work, now let me press this, what's the implication of retirement? What's it mean for retirement? If part of our purpose in life by God before the fall, before sin is to work, what does that mean about retirement? Rest. I want years of seventh days. No. Now this is gonna this is gonna push some of you. It's gonna fly in the face of Western concept of retirement. Retirement, as we understand retirement, is not a biblical construct. It's just not. See, what's the idea behind retirement? I'm either too old to work or I'm too wealthy to need to work. The idea, 
that we get to a point in life where we're too old to be productive and work or we're too wealthy to need to work is not found in the Bible. Understand the implications. Let's think logically and theologically. Let's have a biblical worldview to this topic of work and retirement. To work, to get enough resources, to not have to work, implies that the only reason I do work is to make, get, and consume. And there's no sacredness in the end goal of making, getting, and consuming. Now, for all of you who are retired, and all of you who are working to get to retirement, do you want to know the biblical view of retirement? Most of you are like, no, dude. <laughs> Ignorance is bliss. I'm happy. I'm retired. I'm looking forward to retirement. I don't need to know nothing else. I think I'm supposed to love Jesus. I think I'm supposed to be good. I'm good with that. Well, here's, here's the thing about retirement. It's okay to retire. But to retire from tasks and jobs, not from calling. It's okay to retire as long as you're retiring from tasks and jobs, but not calling. See, there are many things you should retire from. No matter how old you are, there's, retirement is a good part of life. There are many things you should retire from. Some, things, some activities you should retire from. Some tasks you got going on you should retire from. There are some employments you should retire from. But you never retire from God's call and from working in the kingdom. Now, personally, I've retired from quite a few things. I've retired from tasks. I've retired from coaching peewee football, unless it's my grandsons. I'll come out of retirement for that. I've retired from serving on boards. I retired from that a while back. I'm not going to serve on any boards anymore. I used to do that. It used to be a strategic thing, and sometimes it was an ego thing but I've retired from serving on boards. I'm not going to do that anymore. I've retired from weddings and funerals, just a part of the general community. I'm not going to do, I'm not going to be the general rancho's wedding guy or funeral guy. I'll do weddings for kids I coached <laughs> and for staff people and dear friends. You know, I'll, I'll do some and I'll do some funerals, but I've retired from just doing it generally for anybody. I retired from dirt bike riding a long time ago when I broke my neck. I thought, I'm, I need to retire from this. I retired from heavy lifting in the gym a long time ago. See, there, there, there are some things that you need to retire from, and it's okay. But the only reason you retire from some of those things, the only reason I retire from some of those is to give me more time and more attention and more energy to be committed to the call of God on my life in different areas now. Does that make sense? But let me be clear, age nor success are any biblical reason to retire from God's call. Let's just think biblically. Caleb, at 85 years old, at 85 years old, took the high country in his retirement to kill more giants. Abraham, at 75 years old, came out of retirement when God called him to leave his homeland and his country and his family and go to a place, a great adventure that he had no idea where he was going. At 86 years old, 
Ishmael was birthed to him. At a hundred years old, Isaac was born to him. He did not retire. Think about Noah. At 500 years old, Noah never retired. At 500 years old, Noah started a building project that took him 120 years. You can go ahead and retire from tasks. You can go ahead and retire from employment. You can go ahead and retire from activities, but you must never retire from God's call. Keep finding a way to serve the kingdom of God one way or another. My friend Bill down in Southern California, incredibly successful man, has sold his business and has made more money than he will ever spend. He's my age. Years ago, he retired and started working all the time in his church's nursery and early elementary school. So he can take all this time that he had. He's beat cancer two times. And take all this time he has and invest it in these little ones in his church. He may retire from his vocation, but he's never retired from God's call on his life. You understand that? So let's just follow this through. If work is part of the purpose of life that God's given us, we have to understand that there's sacredness attached to our work. There's sacredness attached to it. It's part of your purpose given to you by God to work. So that means it's sacred. There's a passage of Scripture, Colossians 3, 23 and 24, that I taught to my sons, all three of them, probably when they were in junior high. I learned it when I was in high school. And I talked to them when they were young. White's sitting right there. He can tell you what it is. Whatever you do, whatever, employment, volunteer, whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord, not for human masters. Since you know, you know, you're receiving inheritance from the Lord as a reward. It's the Lord Christ you're serving. That means what we put our hands to, the vocation that we put our hands to, either in, in employment or in volunteer, is a sacred work. 1 Corinthians 10, whatever, whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. It is sacred. I don't know where you punch a clock on Monday morning, but when you punch that clock, you've entered into a holy, sacred sanctum. Let's be done for God. See, it's God who created us to work. It's God for whom we are working. And it's God who must be honored by our work in attitude and in effort. Have y'all heard of this thing called quiet quitting? Have you heard of this thing called quiet quitting? This is, a, this, this is a popular thing. This idea of quiet quitting. The idea of it is just like the, the, the employee doesn't outright quit a job. They just quit the idea of going above and beyond. They quit the idea. There's no extra. There's no ask for more. There's no more done than the simple minimum task. There, there's no desire to be better than anybody else. Do the bare minimum of what's asked. Quiet quitting. And it's so destructive to the biblical standard of work. And it's so destructive to the purpose of our lives. Quiet quitting betrays your team. Quiet quitting betrays your boss, betrays your paycheck, betrays your customers. And for Christ followers, it betrays your God. There's a sacredness to our employment. There's a sacredness to our volunteering. I don't remember how old I was, but I was old enough to drive. 
my family, we, we, we it, uh, I don't know why, but we just we were just without a car. And my dad, as an architect, had plans he had to deliver to a client. And I, I have a vivid picture of my father. He's a grown man. Former Marine, Vietnam veteran. And, and I have this vivid memory of my father having plans he had to deliver to a client, getting on a 10-speed bicycle with his plans in hand and leaving to ride down the road across by Celia to deliver plans. See, what he understood is that there was a sacredness to his work and there would never be an excuse not to work and not to produce and not to provide. Understand? Think that was an enjoyable thing for him? Not in the least. But boy, I tell you, that sticks with a guy. Whatever you do, you show up to work tomorrow, whatever that is, everything you got. Why do we work? Because there's witness in our work. There's witness in it. Matthew 5, 16. In the same way, let your light shine before all those idiots at work that they may see how good you do and glorify your Father. So no matter your age, no matter your employment, no matter your task, let your light shine through all those good things and the sacredness of your work and the call on your life. For the Christ follower, we must constantly consider how is my light shining by what I do and how I do it while I'm on the clock. Now, sometimes if you're like me, you get it really, really right. And sometimes if you're like me, you get it really, really wrong. But for the Christ follower, this must constantly be on our, on our minds. Because at the end of the day, work is where our greatest witness is. It's where we're around our huddle that doesn't know Jesus most of all. Let me say this last thing. Why, you, why do we work? Because biblically, there's an expectation that you will work and provide for your family. Biblically, there's an expectation that you will work, and you'll work your tails off, and you will be the provider for your family. Not the church, not the government, not anything else. You will. Look what the Bible says. The Bible gets rough sometimes, man. I'm just telling you. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, like he's throwing down, like he's pulling out Jesus' name right now. He's like, look, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, we command you, brothers and sisters, to keep away from every believer who is idle and disruptive and does not live according to the teaching you receive from us. For even while we were with you, we gave you this command. The one who is unwilling to work, that boy ain't going to eat. Now, when, when the instruction is keep away from those who are idle, it means literally stay away from those in your midst who are lazy time wasters. Stay away from them. Everybody who's just wasting time and lazy, stay away from them. Why? Because being lazy and a time waster erodes the purpose of God on your life to work. It shames the work of God in your life because work is your witness. It just degrades it all. Stay away from the lazy time wasters. Huh? But notice it says, the one who is unwilling to work shall not eat. 
It doesn't say the one who was unable to work. It's a vast difference. The one who is unwilling, that's on them. And we're under no obligation to aid and assist. Christian community is responsible to help those who cannot provide for themselves. But we're not responsible to help those who will not. It's a big difference. And also, subsequently, those who cannot provide for themselves, you know who the primary ones are who are supposed to help? Not the church. You're wrong. It's not what the Bible says. Read the Bible. 1 Corinthians 5, if a widow, little old lady, has children or grandchildren, it's those ones that should learn, first of all, to put their religion into practice. How? By caring for their own family and so repaying their parents and repaying their grandparents for that's what pleases God. The widow who's really in need and left all alone, she first puts her hope in God and continues night and day to pray and ask God for help. Anyone who does not provide for their relatives, especially for their own household, has denied the faith and is worse than unbeliever. The first place you go is to your own family. We've often turned the Christian community into a social organization that somehow has become responsible for everybody without. And the Bible says, if you all want to call yourselves Christians, your first responsibility is to take care of your own family. It's not the church's responsibility. Now, we can if we want to, if we choose to, out of mercy and grace, absolutely. But it's not biblically mandated by us. It's biblically mandated by you to take care of your own. You understand? There's nothing the Bible says, I got to take what I work for and give it to someone who's unwilling to work. I can if I want to. Don't have to. Now, some of you have greatly honored your family and your loved ones. Some of you really, really have. And some of you have cared for family and loved ones who have been in need. And it has been a beautiful and profound example and measure of your care for your own families. And some of you have walked through incredibly difficult times hand in hand by bedside of your parents, of your grandparents, of your spouses, of your children. And it has been a beautiful picture of a faithful, godly faith that's fleshed out in real time. And I want you to know that this church has seen your sacrifice and this church has seen your faith in doing so. And more than that, our God has seen your faithfulness and our God has seen your sacrifice and it has honored Him and He'll bless you. Let me wrap up this message and work with this. Why work? Because it's real simple. It's part of your purpose. It's sacred. It's your witness. And it's how you provide for your family. And it's beautiful. Work is beautiful. How do you work? It's real simple. As if Jesus is your boss. And with your entire heart, 
as if Jesus has asked you to do what you've got to do. That means with excellence and energy and enthusiasm. You know where the word enthusiasm comes from? I'm going to drop a little Greek on you right now. You ready? Two Greek words, en theos. En, E-N, means in. Theos is God. When one is in God, they are enthusiastic. That's where it comes from. And that's how we work. Now, just to be super clear right now, the Christian faith has got this weird relationship with the concept of work. And all through the Bible, these two are kind of held in juxtaposition. Now, people have struggled to understand the relationship between faith and work. And so let me just make it straight for you right now. Regarding work and faith, we're saved by faith, not by works, but a faith that saves better work. See, many of people approach salvation like they approach retirement. Once they get it, they think they can just coast and not do anything. And that's just false. See, the Bible's very clear that we're saved by faith, not by works. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9. It's by grace you've been saved through faith. This not from yourselves. Don't start thinking you're anything. Don't start thinking you brought something to the table. You brought nothing to the table. It's a gift of God, so don't get haughty and think you did something. I mean, that's my paraphrase of what it says. But, but the faith that doesn't work is dead faith. In the same way, faith by itself, if it's not accompanied by action, is dead. And so let me help you understand the relationship between faith and works. It's real easy. This is how I, this is how I say it. My proclamation of salvation is by faith, but my demonstration of salvation is by works. My proclamation of salvation is by faith and faith alone, but my demonstration of my salvation is works. And that's why Paul can tell the church in Philippi, therefore, my dear friends, as you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now even more in my absence, continue to work out your faith, your salvation with fear and trembling. Continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Notice what it says. Work out your salvation, not work for your salvation. But you better do it with great fear and trembling. We must work. There's great merit in work. Both the work of faith and the work of vocation. And so the two questions I'm going to leave us with this morning are this. In what ways am I working out my salvation? Have I got salvation like I want retirement where I get it and then I can just coast? That type of faith is dead. So in what ways are you working out your salvation? Not working for, but working it out. You'll proclaim it by faith, but you'll demonstrate it by action. In what ways are you working out your salvation? And the other question is this. In what ways must I bring my work in line biblically? Where it moves from a drudgery, a, a drudgery to a call, where it moves from a vocation to a mission, where it moves from something I have to do to a way that I express the glory of God in this world. In what ways must I bring that in line biblically? Look, if we can get this straight, all, honestly, all of our life transforms because we spend so much time at work or trying to get out of it. This changes everything. And I want your Monday to be different. I want tomorrow to be different than last Monday for you. You understand? Let's pray. Father, thank you. Thank you that you love us. Thank you that you've called us.
Thank you, Father, for the opportunity to be made in your image and live your image in this world. I pray, Father, that we would approach work from the sacred standpoint with which you gave it to us, that we would understand both the sacredness of it and the witness of it. Whether it's vocation, whether it's employment, whether it's volunteer, whether it's hobby, that we would do whatever we do, we would do it with our whole heart as though we're doing it for you, knowing that we'll receive an inheritance from you as a reward. Father, I thank you that, that we still have the ability to work and produce something. Thank you that you've never removed your call from us, that regardless of the stage of life, that you've always allowed us a call to fulfill in this world as part of your kingdom. Father, I pray that as your people grasp this, as we understand this, as we pursue work in this vein, Father, that you would make work and the process of it beautiful and unique and sacred and powerful and profound. Jesus, we love you. Thank you for the call to work and for the blessing that it is. In your name I pray, amen. Quick commercial. This book right here, Five Gears, this is what we taught our staff, all that I talked about. This is, Kim has a copy of this out at the Start Here booth. I'd encourage you, if you've got a schedule that is fourth gear all the time, pick this up and start to reorient your life. You understand? Yeah? I'm looking at some of you, and you need this book. I know who you are. All right? I love you. Let's sing.